The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. How's it going, guys? It is Wednesday, June 2nd, episode 135. And today I have Hisham Khan, CEO of Cryptocurrencies.ai. This, my friends, is an advanced trading marketplace curated for every trader, whether you are a newbie or an expert, with built-in tools for automation, customization, and performance analysis. So be sure to go to cryptocurrencies.ai and check it out. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, cryptocurrencies.ai, and so much more. Enjoy. Sean, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. What's up? Very well. Thank you so much. Glad glad to be here. Of course, of course. Um, obviously, we want to talk a lot about cryptocurrencies.ai and you know what you do and um, you know really expand on it. But before we do so, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are interested in you know who you are, where you do, where you came from, how you got interested in the technology and the industry. So give us a little bit of detail into your life and your background. Sure. So I'm from New York. Um, got started off as, as a business analyst about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, my, my degree was in accounting, but I, I remember in my last year in college, um, it's, I took a couple of classes that just made me realize maybe accounting is not for me. So I was fortunate enough to avoid that career path and, and start, a, start off as a business analyst. And I got involved in a tech project. You know, there was like a, a saw big enterprise software implementation happening at the company that I joined. Um, and, you know, that's how I kind of started getting into the technology industry. That was like my first step into it. And from there, um, you know, just kind of went through that cycle multiple times. So just really turned into a full scale product builder. What's that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Um, and just, uh, you know, seeing the enterprise technology landscape and, and products getting built from scratch at various different companies just allowed me to kind of learn a lot of lessons along the way, you know, and, and how to interact with some of the top level management to the, you know, to the development teams, to the end users and clients and, and just seeing everything um, across the life cycle of the products. And then midway through my career, I landed at Bloomberg, which was my introduction into the financial technology industry. Um, and that's how I, I kind of got introduced to the, to the trading systems and stuff like that. Um, and then in 2017, at, at some point, um, early 2017, by then I had kind of, you know, 
knew about blockchain as, as a new emerging technology. Like I used to really be interested in uh, articles on machine learning, AI, quantum computing, and, and all the cool stuff that was, uh, that was happening. So um, blockchain articles would pop up every now and then and I sort of had an idea what it was in my head. Um, but one day decided to go um, early 2017 to go home from Bloomberg and, and really just research and confirm if what I thought blockchain was, was it really that? And um, I remember just reading about Bitcoin and, and blockchain for a couple of hours. And, you know, it, it was really easy for me to understand um, since I had kind of read a little bit about it previously and it clicked right away. Like I was sold on it immediately. And I remember that, you know, my brain just started racing with ideas and I had to go out for a walk um, for like 30 minutes or an hour, just kind of thinking about all the various industries that could be impacted by this technology, um, not just finance. And because I was from the enterprise space, I also saw opportunities uh, for enterprise blockchain tech, right? So there was just so much that this technology could enable. And uh, that's sort of like how my journey started into the crypto space. So throughout 2017, I started uh, going to various different meetups. Those meetups at first were just a handful of people. And then in the summer of 2017, it started growing and growing. And then, you know, the whole space would be pretty much like filled out. Mm -hmm. And I started a meetup in New York um, myself, which was crypto traders meetup. So there were some blockchain specific meetups, but nothing for crypto traders. So started a meetup, you know, started kind of getting, uh, taking the space uh, seriously and, and really seeing a movement happening in the industry. And just so it was sucking in so much talent. I remember like, there were times when like, you know, every week um, one or two people would leave Bloomberg, for instance, and, and join a crypto company or a startup. And so um, in, in 2018 is when I decided to kind of go into the industry full time. And that's when the ideas behind uh, cryptocurrencies.ai um, is, is that's where we started kind of like forming a team and, and starting to put together a plan in place and coming from that product and, you know, UX kind of background we realized that there was a lot of uh, stuff to get built, um, especially if you were trading on exchanges back in 2017 and 18. And, and they really didn't offer uh, a whole lot besides trading. So I remember lots of people couldn't even find their PL on an exchange. So you would have to like download your transactions. And if you were someone that was really invested in this, then you would be like having this Excel sheet where you could calculate your PL. And so exchanges have you know done a great job and they've gotten better over the, over the last couple of years. But but that's sort of like the beginning of ideas uh, idea stage for CCAI um, came from. And then you know we kind of uh, had a long journey from there. But yeah, I'll I'll just pause there. Cool, cool. Yeah, when you say you're like wandering around pondering the all the industries you know crypto and blockchain can touch. Like I imagine you strolling through the New England territory of <laughs> uh, upstate New York. What 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 industries are, you know, popping into your head and that you're thinking about that you see, you know, crypto and blockchain, you know, having an impact on or, you know, being able to, to change or enhance or make better? Like what things were popping into your mind? Yeah, I think the, the main ones that were that were coming to my mind at the time were uh, finance, of course, and everybody knows, right, financial technology. That's 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 the main use case. But, you know, there was supply chain uh, use cases that were that were pretty like awesome to just think about and they're really difficult to implement you know I've had some chats with folks who have uh, experience in supply chains and and they tell me like yeah this technology would be amazing but it's really difficult to implement and get all these parties um, on kind of like the same platform 
-hmm. And then even on the enterprise space, like I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of need for companies to communicate with each other. And it kind of happens through this um, EDI technology, which is, which has been used for a long, long time. Um, and it's pretty expensive to keep up where let's say, you know, companies are sending invoices to each other or like, you know, orders or things like that, where there's any kind of communication which needs to happen. Um, it requires usually like its own teams and, and uh, it's pretty expensive and costly. So if companies are collaborating and they sort of had like this shared access to this, this distributed system um, and it was more like an enterprise uh, sort of like a blockchain uh, system, then that could really help with, um, you know, with efficiencies and, and not having to, you know, spend so much time and resources and energy on just keeping your company up to date on the transactions and on the data side of things. So I thought there were definitely some use cases there um, and, and probably plenty more. I mean, I just have, I've, I've been so focused on our use case for a while now that I've kind of uh, not looked at, at many use cases um, in the other industries, but back in 2017, we were really like thinking about all the possibilities that this technology could uh, could impact. Yeah, what, why, why is it difficult to integrate blockchain into supply chain? Um, I haven't heard it from that perspective before. Is it just because companies are, you know, not as willing to jump onto a brand new platform all at once altogether, or is the technology, you know, tricky to implement because of the stage it's at, or what, what's the difficulty? I think it's the former and I'm by no means an expert in that area. It's just like based on uh, conversations uh, over coffee or just kind of, you know, hanging out with folks who are way well versed in, on that side of things and the supply chain side, but it's generally like not easy to get multiple companies to commit to start using a single platform. And if things are just kind of, you know, running the old fashioned way and it's just working and it, it ain't broken, don't fix it. Right. Like it's kind of working. Um, it could definitely be more efficient, but, but, you know, uh, I think it's more of like just getting so many parties involved and and everybody having to contribute to this uh, this project is, is probably really difficult. I mean, the thing with these large corporations and companies, in, in my opinion, is oftentimes even within a firm, having multiple teams align on one project is really challenging. Like it's it's some at, at one point it feels like these companies get so big um, that, you know, teams sort of have like their own incentives and, and their own goals and deadlines and kind of criteria to meet. So they're probably not thinking across like one company, like, oh, we're a company XYZ and let's all collaborate. And, and that collaboration kind of breaks down as the company starts to get into 10,000, 15,000 kind of employee level. So um, yeah, that, that's, that's probably the reason. Yeah, I, I imagine it's the lack of demand still, you know, because that's usually what drives, you know, big companies to make, you know, technological changes to save money or to appease their customers. Um, you know, we had a long conversation. Uh, I had a long conversation with someone today about, you know, the whole farm to table, seat to plate concept um, in supply chain that's really popular as well. Um, it, you know, it might be one area of demand that might actually push it and make it happen. You know, a customer wanting to know, know exactly how their shrimp was caught and where it's caught and how it got to their plate and all the steps in between. There, there is some value to that, you know, knowing that, you know, it's done humanely that, you know, there's no chemicals being put into your shrimp and that your shrimp wasn't, um, you know, it's not the actual shrimp. It's from a different place where other shrimp come from, you know, all these right. little logistical problems with supply chain, you know, eventually there'll be a good use case that'll create the demand for that for that change, but uh, time, 
you know, it'll probably happen. Yeah, I think it's a nice to have. And to your point, like it's going to be a, if there's strong demand, um, then that'll be like the the kind of yeah. reason why things will change. Or if there's some regulation that comes out and requires it, then that could be like a strong reason to transition into that. But there's definitely value out there. Yeah, that's that's just one niche in this industry. So let's let's talk about cryptocurrencies. AI. I'm, I'm curious, what niche, like in this industry, are you guys in? What do you guys do? Um, you know, what's the goal? What's the mission? Sure. So um, CCAI is a next generation exchange. Uh, we're we're going to be launching spot and futures trading on our centralized uh, platform, but we've also built one of the world's fastest decentralized exchanges on the Solana blockchain. Um, our focus really has been on user experience, building a product where users can find it easy to use and offering them all the tools necessary to become better at managing their portfolio and potentially doing better risk management. So um, if, if, you know, there's two areas that we really strongly focus on, offering more tools that traders actually need for better risk management and, you know, for, for better trading and having more control. And at the same time, focusing on user experience and making it such that traders of most skill levels could benefit from them. So um, that's in a nutshell what CCAI is. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've launched in terms of features, um, especially on our on the DeFi side. You know, we've launched our DEX, we've launched our wallet um, on Solana, you know, where we have like a, an analytics page and there's, there's some really cool stuff that we're currently building, um, which will be coming out soon. Can't speak too much about that, but yeah, there's there's some exciting stuff uh, in the pipeline as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up risk management with this stuff because it's the biggest thing I tell people all the time. Like, if you want to to invest and you want to be, you know, at least halfway decent at doing it, you have to be able to manage your own risk and how much you're, you know, getting yourself into. Um, so, like, in terms of like the tools you provide and what you what you teach your customers in terms of risk management, uh, what do you guys do? Yeah. So one thing we could promise is like, you know, we can offer the tools and build them, but, you know, users and traders, it's still at their discretion to use them. Right. So I think overall in the industry, the message needs to be for everyone to be careful, have a plan, have a strategy. If you're trading or you're buying, Um, if you're someone that's just buying and holding, nothing wrong with that. Great strategy. It works out well in the space. But if you're someone that's actually trading more actively, then you will need access to more tools. And that's where we have kind of focused on this concept of smart trading. Mm-hmm. So smart trading is essentially just kind of um, enabling, if, if, you know, once, once the exchange is launched, it'll be like a button, trader clicks on it, and they go from so, sort of like this traditional exchange interface that exists across many different companies to a, a new interface, which is completely exclusive and, and, and um you know, only available on CCAI. And there they can do things like uh, dollar cost averaging, you know, they can have stop losses, but in a more kind of detailed way, they can control their stop loss more. So for instance, um, after having some interviews with traders, we recognized a common theme where let's say a trader sets up a stop loss for 15%, right? And then the market drops and it drops right below their 15% stop loss for a split second or a couple of seconds, and then it just goes right back up. Mm-hmm. Now the trader is, you know, stopped out, they're out of their position, and usually they're pretty frustrated, right? Because technically the market just bounced back, but it was really quick. So we built things like timeouts and timers where they can specify to say, hey, I would love 
for this, you know, to wait 15 or 30 seconds or whatever time frame they specify to say, we'll wait this long before we ex execute our stop loss. However, if the market continues to drop significantly, then there are other options where you can still execute your stop loss. So I know I'm getting too detailed and, and too technical, but um, just to give you an idea, like these are the kind of things and capabilities that we plan to build. Um, and, you know, we, we built it first for our centralized exchange. And now the plan is, um, it's, it's funny because we were working on the centralized exchange, getting that ready. And then we saw this DeFi summer, uh, really, really excited about that. Um, our team basically, you know, we got into the space because of decentralization. So when we saw that, we were really excited and we sort of put pause on the development that was happening on the CeFi product that we were building and we dabbled into DeFi and that's how we eventually ended up being on, on Solana and, and launching that product. So we're planning on moving and bringing all those, you know, amazing capabilities that we built for our, uh, for our CeFi product to the DeFi and, and to the decks that we've built and, and really focusing on, um, making decentralized finance as intuitive as centralized finance, right? Like there's no reason why it has to be so complicated and it has to be sort of like this exclusive club of, of really like intelligent people who can only, you know, go and trade and, and capitalize on those opportunities. So making it more accessible and, you know, we believe that with the Solana ecosystem and that just being one of the fastest and, and really cheap uh, blockchain, it enables us to build products and, Kind of services for the mass majority of the folks who would be getting into this space. So we're, you know, we're, we're really excited about that, um, uh, you know, about, about that and really want to focus on making DeFi easy for, for everyone. Yeah, a couple of things in there I want, want to go back and touch on. Um, one being, you know, the technical stuff. I, there's a lot of people in my audience that are traders and that are technical, so they probably really do appreciate this. So I do want to touch on it. And it's a question they ask me a lot. It's, you know, when they do like stop losses and stuff like that, the, the solutions you're creating are, you know, good solutions to a really common problem. Like take stop losses, for example, they set a stop loss, but they don't understand that they have to set the, the value they want to sell at below their stop loss because, you know, odds are if it's dropping fast and it's trying to execute the same value as your stop loss value, it might not execute at all. Or the other scenario, you know, you have a flash crash or a temporary drop and then you, you get sold out of your position um, you know, just because of the technical um, um, settings you have on a stop loss, and then it goes back up and you you get screwed. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of you know good you know, updates to that that I think yeah. would like as well. Um, you guys dove into that more in um, in detail in terms of how you can improve those those systems or. It's definitely something that will evolve into covering a lot more use cases. So okay. what we did on phase one is keeping it to the level uh, to the more common use cases, right? Like just let's assume that there's not going to be a flash crash or anything of that sort. And let's handle those kind of situations first. Um, and so when we were designing actually the smart trading, we wanted to add in so much functionality and it was getting really complicated. So we took a, we, we were like, all right, stop, right? Like this is, we're getting way too ahead of ourselves. Um, this, the technology and the capabilities are really cool. But we also want to make sure that people can use them, appreciate them. And we want to include the trader feedback in there and kind of, you know, go through that cycle of, uh, you know, iterating over this, over this feature. So the first phase, we, we actually even um, disabled some of the things that are already built um, just to make it so that anybody can really use it, benefit from it. 
and then we iterate over it. And the user experience is really important to us, right? So we want to ensure that our tools cover the use, you know, all these different various scenarios um, in a way where people can actually use them and benefit from them. Like I think convenience and user experience are really key um, key areas that have been neglected in this space. So yes, we'll iterate over it. We'll cover more use cases over time, but version one will probably not save you from a flash crash, uh, depending on the settings that you have. Can you just like have like a, like a switch to turn on like an advanced setting versus a really simple setting, uh, depending on like who your user is like, and then just have both at the same time, or is it complicated to set up? That's exactly what we've done actually. So when you, when you sign up, um, and you sign in, you'll be able to see a terminal that's pretty similar to some of the existing exchanges in the industry, right? Like you'll see the market order, limit order, stop limit order, et cetera. And then there's like this advanced option which goes into smart trading and you click on that and that changes that whole terminal into like all these options that become available to you. And we're even contemplating and trying to do some UX study around that to see if we could even break that down into like various kind of phases. So we don't go from like, hey, this is simple interface to like, you click it and then so many options just, you know, hit you in the face and you become overwhelmed. So really trying to make sure like we can make it easier for everybody to you know, grow with the system, grow with the platform um, and, and not be intimidated. Yeah, it's good that you guys are like exploring that stuff and trying to come up with solutions. I actually had a friend recently, hopefully he's listening to this episode, who um, was trying to, he was using one of the exchanges, I won't say which ones, one of the big exchanges, and he couldn't set more than like four or five stop losses um, because even though it's not executing, it just counts how much uh, quantity crypto you have. And then it adds that to your stop loss value. And then if you use up more stop loss value than the actual value of crypto you have in your account, then you can't set another stop loss. So if you have a hundred Bitcoin and you set a stop loss for hundred Bitcoin, even though it's not executing, you can't set a second stop loss. So I know a lot of people are frustrated because their stop losses don't always work or they don't know how to do them correctly or they just never execute. So they wanna set like 10 stop losses. So at least one of them executes. Um, right. That's another problem that I hear people run into a lot, but. Yeah, and I think it's also like if the systems, it, you know, giving people the ability to do those kind of things is one thing, right? But like at least, giving some sort of a pop-up message or giving some sort of interactive kind of an interface where they can at least understand why they can't set more, right? Like, or, or what their limit is. And, and those kind of things matter a lot. So we also try to focus on um, if there's something that we're not able to do or something that may be confusing to a user, how can we give a pop-up? How can there be like a tooltip so they can hover over it and they can always see that information and can understand like, okay, you know, cause I'll be honest, like there are times where I'm trying to enter something while testing and you know, I haven't added any margin, you know, or like something silly like that, or, or I haven't, you know, you know, fulfilled the required settings on the interface and building it myself and having to kind of miss those kind of things. We want to ensure like there's a lot of messaging in that complex system because a lot of things depend on each other um, when you get into such details. Right. So you just want to ensure that the user is aware and can understand mm-hmm. what's happening and, and what the limits are. Yeah, exactly. So like, do you guys, are you on a, you have like an app for the phone as well? Is it only on desktop or like how accessible is it? It's right now the, the, um, there's only web version. Um, however, we are going to be releasing a mobile app in the, in the near future. And we've built our technology in such a way that 
you know, building and releasing the mobile app will hopefully be not a lot of work. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like in a compatible way where we can utilize a lot of the existing infrastructure to, to develop a mobile app. But we've just been, you know, so focused on getting the products that we are already working on done and, and um, you know, kind of looking to grow the team at this moment. So hopefully with that, we're, we'll be able to release the mobile app in the coming days. Another question, why did you guys choose to build on Solana versus, you know, elsewhere? What was the, the decision to make on that one? Yeah, so um, last year with, with all that DeFi, you know, kind of hype and excitement, we were thinking where could be the opportunities for our team? How can we contribute to this, right? Um, and at, th at that very moment, there was a project which came out uh, known as Project Serum. And, you know, that was being built by Alameda and FTX team. And it was really an amazing technology. It's like an order matching system on top of the Solana blockchain. So that's how we heard of Solana. Like, quite frankly, um, people are learning about Solana more so now, you know, and last year it was, it was a lot less. And so once we, we kind of saw that, you know, this, this project being launched, we were like, all right, let's explore Solana. And then we took it sort of like a, like a side project. We were like, all right, let's build a decentralized exchange because Serum technology exists. It makes it really um, easy to be integrated into the sort of like the DEX stack to build an interface and, and provide the functionality around it. So we did that. And um, I remember testing the, the decks for the first time. Mm -hmm. And when I went and made a couple of trades, like it was just truly mind blowing experience, like how fast it was, you know, being able to kind of uh, trade at sub one second on a decentralized exchange was truly a game changer. So realizing that this could be a game changer, it's really cheap and sort of seeing the expensive transactions and all the all the issues that ethereum was facing at that time we wanted to bet on solana being a good competitor in the space and really uh, kind of designed for trading platforms and interfaces and so we were like all right you know should we continue on this well pros and cons right like pros will probably be one of the earlier teams in this ecosystem and over the years that'll give us the competitive edge and advantage because it's a, it's a new blockchain. Everybody's sort of like starting from the same same place, going through the learning curve together. And it was just, you know, realizing there's so much to build, like, you know, starting from the wallets to like the blockchain explorer to the exchanges, like all this stuff that was already built on Ethereum would have to be built on Solana. And uh, that was just exciting to us to see, okay, there's something that's still so early, even though DeFi itself was, was having its moment, we realized that this could be a game changer. And if it even captured a, a fraction of what DeFi was on Ethereum, then that would still be huge. But we now believe that, you know, that that's, that's just like the, the, the very conservative kind of estimate, right? This could be really big and, and huge in the coming years. And, and we're seeing that with the growth of the ecosystem, like so many good projects are getting involved. I think the Solana hackathon has recently, um, I think somebody tweeted like 12,000 participants, which is insane, right? So all this kind of talent and, and amazing projects that are getting launched and the attention it's getting, we feel like it can have a really bright future and we want to be a part of it. Yeah, Solana is getting really popular. I, I've, I've been surprised in the last couple of months. I've had people ask me, what do you think about Solana? Should I invest in Solana? Should I build on Solana? I'm like, what the fuck is Solana? Like, like yeah. I just hearing it. And then eventually I started looking into it more. And then some of my guests would come on and be like, yeah, we're building on Solana. And I'm like, 
what's going on with Solana? So it's, I, I think it really is, you know, legitimately attracting with this technology, a lot of people that want to build on it. Cause I think it's, it's solving some, some issues with Ethereum and, you know, besides that, I mean, there's a lot of blockchains that do solve those issues, but I don't know why, but I think in the DeFi space, it's just getting popular. I think a lot of people are comfortable migrating there. Um, maybe that's, you know, a reason why you guys are there as well. Star Atlas, they were on uh, last week. They're on building on Solana as well. Like it's becoming a little bit more of a popular thing for people to say um, and to admit. So, yeah, I, I think it's one of the next places to, to potentially be in this space, you know, if it keeps, keeps going in this direction. So the one good thing um, just to add to that is like everybody getting into the Solana ecosystem are actually serious about building right from scratch because you can't there, there's not stuff here that you can easily fork and then just launch a landing page around that in a couple of days and boom you have a project like exactly. that's that's pretty amazing like so many people willing to really get their hands dirty and build start from scratch that's been really amazing to see in this in this ecosystem and i also think like in the last few months to the last year we've kind of accepted that there could be a multi-chain future Right. Whereas maybe people were thinking like two years ago or a year and a half ago, like, oh, these these other chains are dead. They're useless. It's all going to be on Ethereum. But now people have started to kind of come around to this possibility, which is, you know, quite good. Like, you know, there's no harm in having multi chains and and kind of experimenting. And there could be pros and cons to to all these chains. And, and maybe there's even a future where there's like all these bridges that connect everything. And then at the end, the consumer doesn't know what chain they're interacting on and they're just kind of moving funds around and capitalizing on opportunities where they find it. But, but yeah, coming back to like, sort of like um, some of the multi-chains um, which are just not ready yet. Right. So like people are still waiting for some of the other blockchains to, to deliver um, their tech, whereas Solana uh, was pretty far ahead in terms of the other competitors in the space. So they have an amazing tech team, right. Some really smart people. Um, they have an amazing marketing team as well as, you know, we can see like they've really been able to, um, you know, uh, get Solana into into the right kind of audiences and, and make sure that people are aware that Solana exists and it, it offers all these amazing alternatives to Ethereum. So it's just a combination of having really strong tech team, really good marketing team, having some amazing early ecosystem uh, partners get involved and, and bringing attention to it. So that's just a kind of like a recipe for success as, as we have seen so far. And hopefully it continues to be so in the future. Absolutely. I'd love to get some of the boys and girls from Solana on the podcast to kind of talk about it. I've, I've had some of those kinds of conversations before with like uh, the Stellar organization or NEM and stuff like that, Tezos. But it would be really cool to hear more directly from some of the people that are, you know, really part of building Solana. Um, you know, I'm also not a fan of the, the one chain to rule them all theory. Um, like I'm not one of those crypto um, religious uh, zealots, you know, promoting that, you know, that you got your Bitcoin maximalist, Ethereum maximalist out there. It's just, I don't think it's realistic. I, I think, you know, there might be different blockchains, you know, in different countries that are popular blockchains in different niches and in different industries that are popular for different things. Like Solana could round out one specific niche and completely dominate it millions and millions of dollars in one niche you know ethereum could hold on to the creative uh dap art and collectible space and that could just be its niche forever you never know i right. i think multi-chain this multi-chain 
ecosystem is going to happen. It's just, I don't think there's going to be 9,000 of them. <laughs> but <laughs> right, right. It's definitely not going to be one either. You know, we'll have a few in between there. So, yeah. And I think that's the sound view to have. I have very similar kind of uh, views as well. Like, I, mm -hmm. I love all the core uh, crypto technologies and cryptocurrencies. Let's put it that way. Um, not a maximalist in any of them, but, you know, we really just kind of respect what some of these teams are building and, you know, uh, kind of if, if they build something that's good, people will flock to it. They will find their use cases, but that doesn't mean that, you know, other chains might not become popular. You know, we, we could definitely see that happening in the future. And, you know, with more people getting into this industry, more talent, there will be new ideas. There will be new, you know, maybe even other blockchains that come out that are just more capable and, and kind of, you know, next generation. So anything is possible, right? Absolutely. It's, this is an industry that seems to evolve very quickly <laughs> to solve problems. So I imagine that, you know, what we're seeing today, you know, could be obsolete in the near future or, you know, have serious competition in the near future amongst the competition that already exists. You never know. Um, you know, with uh, also with cryptocurrencies.ai, how do you guys, you know, fit in when it comes to exchanges, like compared to like the big names like Bitrix, Binance, stuff like that. And then some DEXs like Uniswap and PancakeSwap and stuff like how, where is your guys' position like within this industry of, you know, being able to exchange value? It's more to be a bridge of the two, right? So okay. um, yeah, we have, um, you know, the way that I imagine it, let's say a trader comes on to CCAI they can trade on the centralized exchange, for example, deposit some funds. They, want, they can trade spot markets. They can trade you know, futures markets up to 125x leverage. And then they identify an opportunity in DeFi, let's say for yield farming or some new token that's launching. And they can easily basically transfer their funds from the centralized exchange to our CCAI wallet, which is Solana-based. And then you know trade that coin or whatever opportunity they identified on our decks. Um, you know potentially do yield farming, which is something that we'll be releasing in the future. So basically, it's really like takes away this need to go and trade on multiple exchanges and just kind of brings it all under one ecosystem. So it's a really ambitious goal, and I feel like it's it's going to be really hard to execute on this. But that's really where the where the reward and the prize is going to be to ensure that we can successfully establish this, this bridge and this kind of user experience where traders can come in and find you know, opportunities on the CFI side, DeFi side, and be able to move their capital efficiently you know, with proper user experience and kind of onboarding uh, seamlessly. Do you have like bigger like institutional tools or bigger investor tools? Like if you, someone wanted to invest into like a hundred Bitcoin or something like that, like a really large uncommon investment is, do you guys have tools in order to help people uh, to do that, like some of the bigger exchanges, or do you guys, um, or is it they just have to rely on how it exists currently? We, we're focusing more on retail at first. However, there's, yeah, we, we do feel like with the current fundamentals and the foundation that we've set, we can easily create and offer other tools. And, you know, having talked to a couple of institutional uh, kind of traders, they, they've already mentioned like, you know, th this is what we would like to have. I mean, these are the kind of tools that are missing. So it's something we can definitely build and, and grow into. But our focus at first is really targeting the more retail focused traders who are trading through UIs, interfaces, GUIs, and, and really catering to that crowd. And then 
slowly, slowly scale up. It's just that we're, we're still um, a young company. We're a small team. And so, look, you know, looking to grow and grow in size and grow in customer base and definitely want to tackle these opportunities uh, on the institutional side as well in the coming days. Yeah, that actually brings up another question that I probably should have asked at the very beginning. It's, uh, you know, as a smaller company, do you guys see it, you know, growing based out of New York or would you guys want to headquarter it maybe in a bigger crypto hub in the States like Miami or, or somewhere in, uh, in like Dallas or Austin or, or are you guys comfortable in New York? So that's a good question. Our, our team is fully uh, decentralized remote and I'm the only team member actually in the US. So our company is registered offshore or um, we're not offering trading services to US traders. Um, so we've, you know, kind of shut down everything at this moment in, in the, yeah. in the U S um, and yeah, in terms of like having a headquarters, we've been contemplating some of the crypto hubs for sure, but it's really a decision. Like if you want to be a remote company, then you just have to be remote, right? Like it, it, it just can't be like where you have 30% of the, the folks are remote and 70% are in the office. It makes that communication and integration kind of challenging. So mm-hmm. uh, we feel like maybe we'll just continue being a remote company for the foreseeable future and um, maybe do sort of like these, um, maybe not, not have permanent headquarters, but getting the team together in certain locations at certain times of the year, just to get everybody to kind of meet face to face and, and you know, collaborate and work together for a short amount of time. And then sort of like go back and, and continue being remote. So we'll see if that changes. Um, I see pros and cons to both. Like I've worked in office and I've been working remotely now for the last few years. And you know, remote is definitely different. It has its own challenges. But once you settle in and you get into the momentum and the rhythm and, and build sort of like uh, your culture around it, it, it totally can work. Like uh, you know, I think I think it's possible that we continue to be remote and not have to sacrifice productivity or anything like that. In fact, maybe we're even more productive and more efficient because we're remote. Yeah, it's definitely no secret that building a company that's more decentralized and that doesn't have like a central, you know, point where things are executed makes it difficult to build company culture, but it's also not impossible. I know a lot of, you know, companies, PR firms, uh, crypto projects that are very, you know, centralized in terms of where they come together to work and, um, others that are, you know, very decentralized and they don't even even live in the same countries um, and they're very, very effective. So I guess, you know, just kind of depends on um, how how much you guys can put together, you know, company, community and culture, you know, within that aspect and have regular meetups and Zooms, I guess. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, the technology has enabled us to do things which weren't possible five years or 10 years ago, right? Like, so... The fact that a small company, a small startup with very low budget can have tools like Zoom, Slack, communicate, project management tools, everything online and, and have access to it, just like a large corporation would, is, is pretty amazing. So it just kind of um, allows you to be remote and, and start off with very little, right? Like very little investment to get it, get something going. And um, it also works well. So if you could build, because we've seen companies that have done it well, I believe GitLab is one of the companies that did it really, really well. Um, I was watching one of their interviews a few years back uh, with their founder, where they, were, where they were like, there are no two people in the same location. And at that time, I think they had like 150 or 200 employees. So, you know, that, that was pretty uh, pretty good to see. So it took some pointers and some tips from it early on. And 
so far our team is small, so it has worked out. And the real challenge for us would be as we double, triple in size to see then how, how that would be uh, with the remote kind of a setup. Yeah, you know, the pandemic has really kind of pushed that direction for a lot of companies as well, because they didn't really have a choice in the past year. And I, I think maybe that was a good thing, you know, given all the technology and tools we have today. Um, you know, obviously Netflix and Disney Plus had a nice spike, but, you know, Zoom and Slack and Discord and all these, you know, you know, management and working tools, you know, grew tremendously during that period of time. And I think it, it, it was a good thing. Maybe one of the only good things about the pandemic was that it pushed businesses to think, how can we, you know, run a business on the internet and remotely without always having to, you know, be in person, have these expenses and, um, you know, things that are you know difficult during even time like this during the pandemic. So, so I have, maybe- like, yeah, like the, the thing is, right. Like I've worked, I've, I've done consulting. So I used to travel the Monday through Thursday, flying out of New York, going to different cities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of gets, uh, t- you know, tiring after a while, if you're doing it every week, right. Like you feel like you're always traveling also mm-hmm. worked in New York and then having to commute one hour each way, going through traffic or going through the subway system and just, just kind of adds so much overhead. It takes so much of your time uh, from your life and, you know, things that you could be doing during that time. So it takes that away. But on the flip side, I also find um, when people are working from home, after some time, it gets a little bit like you need to have some rules, like when you're working versus when you're not working, right? So um, you need to be able to kind of turn on and off this, this work that, that you're that you're doing and if you're not doing it really well it can really um, disturb your work-life balance right so I think um, people are probably going through that now because I, I sort of went through that uh, through my early remote work as well it started off great and then it was like when am I working and when am I not working right like uh, yeah yeah so it's just kind problem. of yeah exactly and, and, and then your family gets impacted as well right like they're like yeah. What I, what I do is I, I actually turn off my personal phone. I'm a fan of having two phones. I know it's like a, not a normal thing for people to do, but I like being able to have a personal phone and a business phone, and then I can separate the two. And then especially when I'm doing stuff like this, because I do do a lot of, you know, uh, the podcast and my business remotely as well. Um, you know, I have to be able to shut off, you know, my personal life so I can focus and not get distracted. And at the same time, be able to separate that when I'm, you know, trying to enjoy my personal life. So I, I think two phones is actually a pretty good way to go, even though it's a little inconvenient to have two phones in charge, two phones to carry around, like two bricks in your pocket, two things going off at once. Um, but I, I, I have considered that as well. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, so I have two phones for, yeah, but I, but I haven't been like kind of good at separating the personal yeah. business. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. But uh, for me, it, it works because then I can just turn it off and then I know I'm in work mode and like nothing can distract me. And then right. vice versa, when I'm out of work mode, I can turn the phone off and I know I'm not going to get distracted and I can, you know, spend time with family or um, my dog or girlfriend or something like that or friends and them not be like, why are you working all the time? Like <laughs> Right, right. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's good because after a while, when the lines get blurred, it's, it's, it gets stressful. And we've been going for a while. Before we wrap it up and everything, what's, um, what's the roadmap? Roadmap. Road, I can't even speak. Roadmap for the rest of the year <laughs> look like for cryptocurrencies.ai. Like I know you guys mentioned you're in like version one kind of, and you know you got some updates coming up and some things. 
um, on the, the horizon, but what do you want the people to be aware of or to keep their eye out for? Yeah, the first thing really is, you know, I encourage your audience if they haven't explored DeFi or have explored DeFi and, and are looking to kind of um, check out some of the better designed, cheaper transactions, then definitely try out the CCAI wallet and just test out the decks. It's going to be a, a you know, pretty amazing experience for you, uh, considering if you've gone through the challenges of uh, Ethereum-based DEXs. So I think it would be um, a good thing. To, I encourage everyone to try it and experience that for yourself. Um, in terms of the roadmap, you know, we're, we're basically focusing a lot on community building at the moment. We want to make sure like, you know, we can kind of grow our audience and, and people get to learn about us, our company, our brand. Um, and then on the product side, we're, we're, um, we're working on some, some stuff for DeFi. Can't unfortunately release that yet. Um, one of the things I actually hate is like roadmaps. Like you put something for the year and then this space is moving so fast. Like whatever you plan to do in, in the next or the following quarter could be completely obsolete. Like, or, or you may be working on something else because there's like a new trend or something, some new need um, from the user community. So I don't necessarily, you know, I don't usually like to kind of have these, these fixed roadmaps, but, but yeah, we'll definitely be building some cool products on the Solana ecosystem for DeFi um, and making sure that, you know, that can benefit the trading community. So there's some stuff coming out. I wish I could say more, um, but for, for the later part of 2021, um, it's, it's still very uncertain. I remember in um, early 2020, I was kind of hearing this talk and chatter in the community around, you know, the, the success that futures trading had seen, the next thing was going to be options trading. And that's what people were kind of getting excited about. And then DeFi came, right? And nobody was talking about options anymore. It was all about DeFi. And then right after that, you know, we had this recent like NFT craze. And now suddenly that was like this big thing and, and, and really hyped up. So it's really hard to say like this, this industry is for sure really good at keeping everyone on, its, on their toes. Like if you're a big company, you're a small company, you really have to be looking out and kind of keeping an eye and, and, and checking the pulse of the industry, like where it's headed, what's going to be the next big thing, like what are people excited about? So it's really hard to say. And, and that's one of the reasons we don't publish like a, even on our website, like a roadmap, because maybe things will change. Most likely they'll, they'll change. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. Maybe you guys should just like innovate your own like new like thing in, in the industry that takes off and becomes super popular. Then that way you don't have to like, keep trying to catch up with the next trend or whether it be with DeFi or NFTs or yield farming or whatever, you know, pops up and everyone's like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. Maybe you guys should just yeah. sit around and just say it is. And yeah, we're working on something a little bit, uh, a little bit interesting. That would be um, an innovation on top of what's already kind of like in the DeFi space. So mm -hmm. we went from a company that was looking at what, what the problems were. We wanted to be the first in offering like smart trading and really like focusing on that kind of user experience and um, oh, so roadmap, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be releasing the smart trading terminal and, and the centralized trading in the, in the coming days. We don't have an exact date yet, but yeah, that's, that's coming out. Um, and then we're, we're certainly exploring DeFi and, and planning to be more innovative and planning to be uh, trendsetters instead of trend followers. So yeah, that's, that's definitely the game plan. Cool. Well, let's leave the audience with that. Keep them excited to, to keep paying attention and um, Isham, thanks for, uh, you know, taking the time to come on podcast and really dive into this stuff and explain it. Really appreciate it. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time and hope New York's going well. I, I, need, I haven't been there in a long time. Like makes me want to go. I got some friends up there. 
yeah, cities starting to come back to life. Uh, that's that's for sure. I mean, you know, it was kind of bad, uh, but I think New York is a really strong city. It'll come back and bounce back really, really good. So, yeah, you should definitely come out, and especially with the weather getting nice, it's the perfect time. Yeah, yeah, it is the perfect time. It's it's on my mind. Maybe I'll come visit depending on how things are going. So, I'll let you know. But yeah, thanks yeah. for coming, man. Really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me and giving us the opportunity to tell the story of uh, CCAI. Thank you.